Well, good morning again. How's everyone doing? If you have your Bibles, if you could turn them to Matthew chapter 5, I'd appreciate that. I, I pray every time that you come into the presence of the Lord as we're gathering together with the saints, ready to lift up the name of our God, our great God and our King, that you would come with the heart of expectation. Uh, because when we praise Him, He promises He inhabits the praise of His people. Amen. That's what He promises to us. And one of the things I realize that not everyone out there we talk about desperately need Jesus, that you and I, right in here this morning, we all desperately need Jesus. Amen? Every one of us needs Jesus. And we need Him to do something special in our life. We need Him in a special way, every one of us. And I want you to know that. I want you to know that this morning, that He's here for us. Not just in the midst of this room, but He sees you individually, that Jesus is here and He sees you. And I pray today that you would experience His presence and His power in your life in an absolute uh, awesome way in a tangible way that you would experience him. That's what God wants. How many of you are excited about being here? How many are excited about being a part of church that loves God's word, that loves to worship Jesus, and, and, and is committed to preaching the good news of Jesus Christ? Amen? That you're proud to be a part of a church like that when you come here. And I prayed you would have a hunger for his word because that's what he wants, for us to come to have a hunger. And I believe the hunger of God's word happens when you and I become convinced that if we follow Jesus— that it will change everything. And hopefully you feel about that. That when we follow his teaching, it will change our lives. How many people believe that? That if we follow Jesus and his teachings of Jesus, that it will change the way we live. That if we, that if we follow Jesus, it will change the way that we love. How many believe that if we follow Jesus, that it will change our marriages? It will change our relationships. It will change our church. And one of the things you find in the book of Acts is what you find, that the earliest group of followers, they didn't have uh, much. They didn't have a, a big budgets. They didn't have big buildings. They didn't have social media. But what they did have, they had this deep faith and sense that if we follow the teachings of Jesus, it will change us. And it did. Not only did it change them, but it changed the entire Roman Empire as a result of their faith in following Jesus. We serve the same God today. The same God as yesterday, today, and forevermore, the Bible says. And if we have faith in Him, and, and we in His Word, and, and if we live by that, it will change us, but not only us, but the world in which we live. That's what God says. But I wonder if we misread the Bible. I wonder if we somehow misunderstood Jesus, and I begin to wonder even now if maybe we've missed the heart of Jesus is what we've done sometimes. That's why I love when we gather together and worship. That's why I love studying God's Word. Because remember, the goal of studying God's Word, that we would reconnect with the heart of God, right? That's what we want to do, reconnect with this heart. We're not studying God's Word so we can have kind of all kind of fun and facts and parties. We're not studying God's Word so we can have all these notes and stuff for a notebook with notes. No, we're studying God's Word so we can reconnect with the heart of the King. That we re can reconnect with the heart of Jesus so His Word can change us and transform us from the inside out so we could be more like Jesus. That's what we come. That's what we're here for, right? So it changes us from the inside out. And that's what I love about this series that we're in, studying the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever to be preached is in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The series is titled, The Heart of Jesus. And that's what we want. We want the heart of Jesus. What Jesus is simply doing in the Sermon on the Mount, what he's doing here, teaching his disciples how they can follow Jesus and have a blessed life. How many uh, want to have a life full of joy, a life full of peace, a life approved by God? We all want that, don't we, in our life? That's what God wants for us. But here's the truth. 
Here's the challenge that he talks about there. What makes it difficult then and what makes it difficult now is that everything that Jesus teaches us is kind of a counterintuitive, a contradictory the way we've been trained in our culture. I mean, as Jesus teaches the pathway to this blessed, blessed life, what we see, it's different than the way we learn how to have a successful life here on this earth, right? It's, it's so much different. And we see that in every verse that we're going to look on the Sermon on the Mount. We see that even what we're going to look at today. What Jesus is actually doing, he's challenging our hearts and he's saying, there's something wrong with your heart. There's something wrong that you misunderstand that Jesus, and that's why all this that he's talking about in the Sermon on the Mount feels so foreign to you. In many ways, what Jesus is revealing to the original audience and to us, he's saying that because of the culture that you live in, the world which you live in, your hearts are polluted. And our hearts are polluted. We begin to smuggle in our own self-interest into the Bible. And when we smuggle in our own self-interest into the Bible, it says uh, that God never intended to smuggle in. And we're going to misread the Scriptures when we do that, is what he's saying. So Jesus is saying, if you want to have a right understanding of the Bible, you have to have a right heart. And if, you don't, if you're not, your heart is not right with Jesus, you're going to misread the Bible, and then you're going to misread or miss the heart of Jesus. Jesus is saying when, when our hearts are polluted, what ends up happening is we think that our way leads to life. And when our way, apart from Jesus, separate from Jesus, always, always leads to death. And that's what the Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. But I don't want to have a polluted heart. I want to have a clean heart. How many want to have a clean heart? want to have a clean heart to follow Jesus. That's what he wants. That needs to be our prayer as we get into the Word of God. God, give me a clean heart as I read the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn them to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be reading verses 21 through 48. 28 powerful verses this morning. We've got a lot to cover, and it's going to be kind of deep, so bear with me. But let's start in verse 20, because I believe verse 20... Uh, in order to understand the Sermon on the Mount, you have to understand verse 20, what he's saying here. Everything else is kind of built upon this, what he's saying to them. It says in verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to think a moment of those followers that were in that audience right there and are listening to Jesus. And Jesus saying this, us fishermen, Jesus, you're saying to us, and us tax collectors, you're saying that our righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Now, when we use the term Pharisees, we use that, we kind of think of it as a derogatory term. In their time, they looked at the Pharisees that they were the epitome of the law keepers. They were the ones who were keeping law perfectly in all their ways. They were the ones that were doing everything right. So they're thinking when Jesus is saying this, they're saying, how oh, Jesus, is there, that our righteousness is going to exceed theirs when they seem like they're checking off all the boxes. They've got everything right. They're doing it all right. We're just looking at their life and we're watching them. And what Jesus is talking about, it's not being obedient to some rule-keeping and keeping rules. What Jesus is saying, that your righteousness will never exceed uh, by external uh, activities and stuff, just by doing religious activities, or by being busy with your hands or checking up some boxes of rule-keeping. Jesus said, you're not going to outdo the Pharisees in their righteousness with doing more legalism. He says, no, I'm not after your hands, I'm after your heart, is what he's saying. The way you're going to have a greater righteousness is through loving God, through a relationship with Jesus Christ, allowing him to lo his love to flow in and through you, and then line your hearts with God is what he's kind of getting across to them. But what he's after, and what he knows is this, Jesus knows, is this, if he captures his, our hearts, he'll capture our hands. 
that if he captures our hearts, everything else, the whole bundle will come along with that, right? And that's what he wants. Because Jesus is after our hearts, not just our hands, not just our bodies. He wants our hearts. If our hearts are not right, we will misread the passage of Scripture. If we misread the passage of Scripture, we'll also misapply it. If we misapply it, we're going to live wrong. And that's what Jesus is trying to correct. Because Jesus understood that right belief leads us to right living, and we talked about that last week. Right belief leads to right living, but right belief comes by making sure we read the Bible the way it was intended. And so many people just read the Bible, and they read it out of context, not the way it was intended. That's what he's getting across. The big idea from this message today, Jesus teaches us how to live right and to love right, and that's what he's doing. He's showing us not to live and love the way the culture has shown us, the way the world has shown us, but he's correcting the way that we've been taught, not only by our culture, but also by many times by churches, where sometimes we've smuggled in the cultural philosophies in the Bible. We've kind of added those things and forget God's original intent. And we've kind of, they take part of the culture, and we say, well, this is what the culture is saying, so the Bible's got to fit into this, and we kind of twist and change the culture. And Jesus is getting back to the original intent of the law. That's what he's doing in the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus here, he's going to pick six of the laws out of Israel, six of the 613 Mosaic laws, and he picks six of them to reinterpret them for them. But he doesn't change the laws, just explaining the way that God originally intended it to be. This is the way it was meant to be. Not what you've added on to it. This is the way God meant. So he gives an illustration here to show how the Pharisees had so twisted the law, and it caused us to misread it, misapply it, now for you to live wrong. And he says, I'm trying to correct it. So Jesus wants to show us how to love better and live better and understand the word of God its original intent is what he's trying to do. So let's look at this. Jesus is going to end this passage we're going to look at today. He's going to use this powerful phrase, you have heard that it was said. And every time we see that, I want you to take note of it. It's going to start off right in this passage right here in verse 21 through 26. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, which means insult or contempt, is answerable to the Sanhedrin, that anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This phrase where Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you, is such a turning point phrase that I don't want you to miss. The first part of the phrase where he says, I, you've heard that it was said, was a way that Jewish rabbis would start off any topical uh, topic that they were talking about. Any way they would start, they would start off and say, you have heard what, that it was said. But when Jesus added that second part, but I tell you what he was doing, he's correcting the Pharisees, which was a very bold move. He's correcting them. And, and the way he's correcting them is to be like correcting the Pharisees in that day would be like correcting the scientific community in our day. They kind of held sway over the way people thought, right? When Jesus challenged the the teachings of the Pharisees, is it's the equivalent of Galileo challenging the scientists of his day and saying that the earth is not the center of the universe. The sun is. A very bold move, right? Very radical. It'd be like Pythagoras is, is saying the world is not flat in a time when everybody thought the world was flat, but he's saying, no, the world is round. 
It's challenging the orthodoxy of that day. That's what Jesus was doing. That's how big this is. A very bold and radical move. And Jesus is saying, as authoritative as these Pharisees are in your life, they have misread the text. They have misread the word of God, and they have twisted the teachings of Moses, and they're not right in this. And so because they have wrong hearts, they have smuggled in their own selfishness in this, and they have misread the text, and they've caused you now to misread the text and for you to live wrong. And Jesus is trying to correct that. So what Jesus was trying to do, he's trying to correct and say that I am greater authority than they are. Listen to me, what I'm saying here. I've got greater authority. So Jesus uses this one simple command, and he says, you shall not murder. Is that part of the law of Moses? Absolutely. It's the sixth commandment, right? We see that in Exodus chapter 20. We studied that back in October of last year. We went through the Ten Commandments. There's nothing wrong with that commandment, you shall not murder. But their motivation for keeping that commandment was naturalistic reasons. They says, you shouldn't murder because you're being thrown into prison. You shouldn't murder because you're going to have to go to court. And Jesus is saying, no, there's something much deeper than that, the reason you shouldn't do this. He's saying, Jesus tells them to rightly interpret the word of God. If you have your outlines out, I'm going to give you the two points. There are two things that you have to do. And I'm going to give you the right up front, these two steps to rightly interpret the Word of God. I'm going to give you both of them right here. But promise me you won't close your Bibles and close your books after I give them, right? Because we're only midway, midway point in, our, in our, our message here this morning. Because everything else I'm going to share is going to include these two points. They're very important. And the first step, he says, you have to check your heart. We have to check your heart as you read in the Word of God. So as you come to the Word of God, you, you start reading it, and you ask God, God, what are you trying to say to my heart? And that's what we should always do. God, what are you trying to say to my heart? And align my heart, God, with yours. Not the other way around, but line my heart with yours. What are you trying to say, my, say to my heart? And change my heart, God. So we should check our hearts. The second step to rightly interpret the word of God, you should follow the way of Jesus. Not when it makes sense, and not when it's easy, not when it feels right. We're always to follow the way of Jesus. That's what he's saying. Follow the way of Jesus. Follow the way of the kingdom. So Jesus is saying, God is after your heart is what he wants through this. And you should murder, not because you'll be thrown into prison, not because you'll go to court. Those things are going to happen. He says, but you shouldn't murder because God wants you to reconcile with your brother. He wants you to reconcile with others. That's what he says in the text. That is what God is after, not just our actions, but the motives of our heart. The heart's intent is what God is after. So we read the passage and what Jesus was reminding us of that we are going to, if we're going to have the right interpretation, number one, we have to check our heart and make sure that our hearts are lined up with his, right? Check our hearts and make sure they're right. And second, we have to follow the way of Jesus. A more radical way, a really countercultural way, you're going to hear me they say that often today, a countercultural way. But to follow the way of the kingdom is what we're supposed to do. Not when it makes sense, and not only when it feels right, but we're to follow the way of Jesus. Now he picks up the second thing. Look at the second thing. It talks about lust and adultery. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Again, Jesus is using a figure of speech called a hyperbole, where it's a great exaggeration to make a point. And he's making the point that your sins are so grievous, that your sins are so great, that you need to take drastic measures to stop what you're doing. 
That's what he's trying to make a point of. He's not telling you to cut off your hand. You need to take a drastic measure to stop what you're doing. And so, again, here's what Jesus is saying. The Pharisees, they had twisted the law of Moses, and you know what they did? The same thing that we do, we do this same thing today, is we ask God, how far can I go before it's a officially sin? How far can I go to that line before it's officially sin? What they came up with, as long as you do something that is short of adultery, it's not sin. It, it only becomes sin when you've committed the act. And what Jesus was saying, no, no, that's not it. It becomes sin when your heart wants to commit the act. That's when it becomes sin. It becomes sin when you're looking at someone and desiring to do something with your heart other than what God's will that he wants you to do with that person. That's sin. And that's what he's talking about. Now imagine if we live like that. Imagine if we live... Uh, and, and we, taught, we checked our heart level before we committed the action. Imagine if we asked God, God, check my heart, make sure it's right with you, make sure my heart aligns with the Word of God before that action would take place. What would happen? Let me tell you what would happen. A whole lot of pain would be avoided. A whole lot of marriages would not be destroyed. A whole lot of covenants would be kept if we stayed to God's Word, right, and aligned our hearts with His. One of the problems they had that we have in our day is instead of asking, Father, how can I go to align myself with your will, we ask God, God, how far can I go before it's sin? How far can I go to this line before I cross it that it's sin? And we get right up to that line, and if we're getting up to the line like that, sooner or later we're going to cross over, guys. And what he's saying, what Jesus is saying, what God is looking for is us to have a deep desire to align our hearts with his. That's what he wants. Don't worry about that line. If we align our hearts with his, we don't have to worry about the line, but to follow him. So if we, we have to get in the word, our hearts have to be right. So we have to first check our hearts, and then we have to follow the teachings of Jesus, even if it don't feel right to our flesh, even if it doesn't make sense to our minds. Because there's going to be times in the Bible, as you read through it, that Jesus is going to tell you to do something through the scriptures, and you're going to say, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't seem like the pathway to success. That doesn't seem, if I do these things that Jesus is telling me to do, that I'm going to have success in my workplace. If I obey Jesus in this way, if I follow the ways of Jesus, I don't think my boss is going to like this if I follow this way. But how many have faith in Jesus? How many say I have faith in his ways and what he tells us to do? How many believe in his teachings? If we fully understand what he's trying to teach us and if we apply them, that it will change our lives. That would help us to live better and to love better if we follow Jesus. So we have to trust him. We have to have faith in Jesus, right? We have to trust him. We can't wait till we have it all figured out. We can't wait till we find the formulas for Jesus' teaching. They're not there. Jesus is just telling, follow my way of teaching. Obey the word of God. That's what he's asking us to do in all areas in our life. Not when it makes sense, not when it's easy. We're to follow him. What I've found out through the years is God doesn't invite me in the boardroom when he's making decisions. God doesn't ask me, hey, Doug, does this commandment make sense to you? Because I don't want to have it. It doesn't make sense to you. God doesn't do that. He doesn't do that with you, too. I know that. No, there are going to be times where what the Bible says isn't going to make sense to us, but we still have to follow the way of Jesus. Then we're going to love better, and we're going to live better. That's what he promises. That's what Jesus wants. But then he goes on, and he talks about oath-keeping, oath-making here. In verses 33 through 37, it's important. He says, again... You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but keep the oaths you have made to the Lord. But I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. Simply let your yes be yes, and your no be no, 
And anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Again, Jesus is highlighting the Pharisees, how they twisted the word of God because of their own selfish hearts is what they were doing here. Now, the Bible does say you shall not give false testimony. That's the ninth commandment, right? And you shall, if you make an oath to God, you are to keep that oath, right? But you know what they did? They created that the only oath that you had to keep are the ones made to God. So if you made an oath other than to God, you could break those. Any of those other oaths that you made to people or someone else that you could break. So if you told your mom and dad, you told your parents, they said, hey, when you get older, I'm going to take care of you. But if you change your mind, according to them, you could break that oath. Or if you had a business partner, you said, this is our agreement in our business, but later on it became inconvenient to keep that agreement, you could break that oath, you could break that agreement. And what Jesus said, no, we're not that type of people. We're not looking for ways to cheat people. That's not what we do, he's saying. He's saying we don't need oaths to keep a word. And what Jesus was saying, get rid of all oaths. We don't need oaths. He said, let your yes be yes, your no be no. What if we lived that way? What if we lived the way that Jesus was telling us to live? What if we lived in a way that everything we said, we kept? What if we lived in a way that every promise that we made, we kept? What if we lived in a way where we felt the integrity demanded, what our hearts being aligned with Jesus was to keep our word no matter what? What if we did that? That's what Jesus was calling his followers to do. He was teaching his disciples to create a, com a community, a new community, a counter-cultural community that was so different from what they were living in. They were so different. By living this way, what they would create, a culture, was a community that was so different that people would say, I'm tired of the world that I'm living in that's so full of truth breakers, a world that's so full of backbiting and, and beating up each other and stealing and cheating, that they were weary of that. And they would come running into this new culture and say, I want to be a part of that community. That's what Jesus was creating, a different community, a different culture than what the world is. He said, I want you to have a different culture where people don't want what the world has, and they're going to want to come inside of the church and say, I want this. This is the kind of culture I want. That's what Jesus created. Well, how do you do that? Well, we get into the Word of God. We have to get in the Word of God. Of course, we got to be a believer, but we have to get in the Word of God. We have to check our hearts. We have to first start and say, God, what are you saying to my heart? How do I get my heart right with your heart? We have to align our hearts with Jesus. And then we have to follow the ways of Jesus because it will help us to live better and love better. And that's what he wanted, for us to live better and love better. Then he hits the next one. The next one's very powerful. Remember, he's changing their way, their misunderstanding of the scriptures, of the commandments that they had, and he's changing it. This is God's original intent. This is the heart of God. This is the heart of Jesus. So now he's changing it. And this one's about retaliation. And this one's really tough for us to grab. It's going to rub us the wrong way. He says this in verse 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And they get that from the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 21, verse 24, and Leviticus chapter 24, verse 20. And he says, you have heard it said, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If one, someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you, do not turn from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus, again, is challenging the way the Pharisees have smuggled in their own self-interest here. But what the Pharisees were doing, they were twisting the law of Moses. Moses says, an eye for an eye, so he could limit retaliation. That's what he was doing, to limit retaliation. They were using it to justify a payback culture. That's what they were trying, payback culture. So Moses was saying, if somebody takes your eye, 
you can't take their whole body. The most you can take is an eye. Reciprocity. It's a limit to what you can take is what he's saying. He's saying if someone takes your tooth, you can't take the whole family out for taking a tooth. The most you can take is a tooth. But they were twisting the way of Moses. They were twisting God's law. If somebody hurts you, they were saying, you have now justification to, to retaliate to the fullest extent of your desire. You can do whatever you want to them if somebody has hurt you. doesn't matter how big or how little. You can do whatever you want now. It's what they were saying. And Jesus is saying, no, you're missed, missing my heart. You're missing the heart of God. You're missing the original intent. What God was trying to do through Moses was limit retaliation, not to justify retaliation, uh, not at any price, at any cost. What he was trying to do is limit it. Imagine for a moment, if you and I lived this way, the way God wanted us to live, according to what Jesus was talking to right there, that is not retaliating at all to people. Imagine what would happen today. And I know this rubs us the wrong way. I know when you think about this, you can't live that way today. But I know it's so counterintuitive, it's so countercultural the way we live. It runs against the flesh because we celebrate payback culture. Even Christians, we celebrate this payback culture. Matter of fact, we love when people say, I don't take anything from anybody. And if somebody starts a fight with me, I'm going to finish it, right? And we celebrate that payback culture. We actually kind of glorify it. But Jesus is saying something different here. He says he wants his people to say, if somebody takes from me, I'm going to still bless them. He's saying, if somebody hurts me, my payback to them is going to be to love them even more. That's what Jesus is saying. It's very counterintuitive, contradictory to our world, that we're going to win this war not by retaliation, but by love. And that's what Jesus is saying. We're going to win it by love, loving other people. Martin Luther King Jr. had his house bombed uh, one day while he was in a church service. He was preaching the word of God, and they could hear the bomb blast go off. And they all came out of the church and they looked and went down the road. And he had been threatened before, but this time his house was on fire. And when he got to his house, he was just thankful that his, his wife and his children were not in there. But he soon found out they had a bigger problem that was right there in front of him. It was the mob of African Americans that were angry because their leader's house had been bombed. And they were ready to retaliate. They were bearing arms. Some of them had guns. And they wanted to fight, do whatever they could do to defend him. And so Dr. King stood up before them. And he began to say to them, the Bible commands us to love our enemies and to bless those who curse us. And then he began to lead them in a hymn. And the hymn was, Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved a Wretch Like Me. You know what he did? He was teaching them the way of Jesus. He taught them, we're not going to win this war by retaliation. We're going to win this war by checking our hearts and following the way of Jesus. Now, would it make sense? Not when it's easy, but we follow the way of Jesus because we have faith in him, that we have to trust him. And his way will cause us to love better and live better. And that's what Jesus wants, us to love better and live better. Not the way of the world, what they're calling us to do, but the way of Jesus. It's so different. Jesus knew right there there were two audiences that was in the crowd as he's sharing this message. His disciples, and then there's a crowd. The crowd didn't know Jesus yet, but they're hearing all what Jesus has to say. And Jesus knows his followers, if they live this way, not only would it bless them, but it's going to impact the crowd that was listening to that. And because deep in the heart of the crowd, deep in the heart of the world out there, is a desire to be part of a community that doesn't retaliate for everything that's going on. They're, they're, they're not this backbiting. 
There's not this cheating. There's not this stealing. There's not undermining. There's not division. There's not fighting. There's not hatred like the world has. Listen, the people in our culture are looking for a countercultural community, and that's what Jesus is calling his early disciples to, and that's what he's calling us to, to that kind of community that he wants to create inside of the church, not like the world, but the way Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount so we really understand the heart of Jesus. That's what he was calling us to. That's the way he wants his church to be. Not retaliation, but to love. To love them. That's the way we're going to reach them, by loving them. Not condemning them, but loving them. Not saying, I, I accept your sin, but I'm going to love you in spite of your sin. That's the way we're going to reach them. That's what he was saying to this culture. That's Jesus' way. That's what he was saying. Let's look at the last one. He's talking about loving your enemies. See, it's right on the next. He says in verse 43, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The Pharisees had twisted this big time. The Bible does say love your neighbor. Moses' law says love your neighbor. But there's nowhere that place in Moses' law that says hate your enemy. They added that one because of their self selfishness. They added that. It goes on and says, verse 44, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? In our memory verse, verse 48, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. How in the world are we going to be perfect? Not through more legalism, not through more legalism, but how are we going to be perfect? It's through loving God and allowing his love to flow in and through us. And then we're able to live better and love better, right? You see how radical this is, what Jesus was teaching? It's so radical to what the world, even today, it's such a radical teaching, such a bold teaching that he's sharing. Do you know what they had done, though? What they had done, they said, they created a culture which you were to love your neighbor, and they narrowly defined neighbor. You know what their neighbor was? Neighbor is a person that's part of your, your tribe, that's part of your group. A person who looks like you, sounds like you, who votes like you, likes what you like. But what are you supposed to do with the people in the other group, in that other ethnic group that have different politics than you are? What are you supposed to do with that group? According to the Pharisees, you can hate them. Love your neighbor, but hate your enemies. And Jesus, that's not the way. That's not the way of God. That's not the way of Jesus. We need to check our hearts. Jesus, no, this wasn't the Father's intent. He says, so when you read in the Bible for this commandment, you need to check your heart. That's not what God meant. You need to follow the way of Jesus is what he's saying. What was God's desire? What is his desire? What is Jesus' desire? It's forever for us to love everybody and to treat them as if they were our neighbor. Not some but everybody's your neighbor, is what Jesus said. And even the person who's different than us, everybody's our neighbor, not just certain people. Everybody is saying, treat them as if you're your closest neighbor, that you love them. That's the way we're supposed to treat them. What if we live this way that Jesus was calling us? What if we love those who were different than us? Instead of just trying to condemn them because they have different politics or, or different beliefs, what if we love them? Instead of just trying to retaliate, what if we showed them the love of Christ? That's what Jesus was asking. See, if we show them the love of Christ, we win. That's what we're called to do. And we win. We've lived a successful life where we're showing the love of Jesus. And I'm not saying it's easy. It's not easy, guys. I know that's hard to love people. I know that. <laughs> My age, I've lived, I've, I've lived that. I know it's hard to love certain people, but that's what he's telling us to do. 
But praise God, he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and he's given you the ability and the capability to love others the way he wants. You have the same spirit of Jesus living inside of you, and he does give us that ability to love other people. And if you're having trouble loving other people, we need to pray and say, Lord, as I open up the word of God, help me to follow the word, but help me to check my heart and make sure my heart lines up with you, not the way of the world, not that I bring other things from the culture in, but Lord, my heart lines up with you and I'm obedient to you and your word. And Lord, help me follow the ways of Jesus. Not when it's easy, not when it only makes sense. Help me to follow his way. And let's follow his word because it will help us to live better and love better and that we may glorify God and make an impact on the world in which we live. That's what Jesus wanted. He just didn't see what followers, he goes, I want us to make an impact on the world. And that early church did. They changed the Roman Empire, guys. They made an impact. And that's what Jesus wants today. today. He wants us to make an impact on the world by the way that we live. is different. Not just in here, but it's different when we go out there in the world. We don't act like them. We don't treat the world like that. We're different. They see that. That's that countercultural that he wants us to have. How many people want to live this way? How many people want to live the blessed life that Jesus has called us to? A different way to live. Not the way of the world. That's not what he's called us. Not how the culture lives but Jesus' way. In order to do that, we have to check our hearts and follow the way of Jesus, follow the word of God, and be obedient to it in all areas of our life. That's what he's calling. Let me say to you, if, if you want this life, if you want to be a part of this community and you've never put your faith and in, in trust in Jesus, today could be the best day of your life today. By just simply understand that we're all sinners. Everyone in the room are sinners. Because we're sinners, we're separated from God and we're helpless and hopeless in our condition, every one of us. That God sent this son, Jesus, who's the son of God, who's God, who came to this world and he went to the cross and he died on the cross for your sins. He took your place. He paid your complete sin debt upon the cross. That's God's grace. But just knowing about what Jesus did isn't enough. We have to put, apply our faith, except what Jesus did by faith is what the Bible says. In other words, when you and I come, we say, God, I realize I'm a sinner and I realize I'm separated from God and I need to be rescued from my sins. And I know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he's God, and he died on the cross for my sins, and today I receive him by faith. Or to take it to the next, if you believe that, you come and you pray and say, God, today I come, I know I'm a sinner, and today I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he died on the cross for my sins. And today I accept what Jesus did for me upon the cross, that he died for my sins. I receive him by faith. If you've never done that, please accept Jesus. If you have questions about that, Please see me after the service. But let me say this. Prayer doesn't, prayer doesn't save you. Just saying a prayer doesn't save you. It's faith in believing who Jesus is, that he's the son of God, that he's God, and what he did, that he died on the cross for your sins. That's what saves God's grace through faith in Jesus. That's what saves. Not just faith. Not just faith. It's believing. And if God is moving in your heart, he's moving in your heart today, and you've come to realize who Jesus is and what he did for you upon that cross, and you say, boy, I've never accepted him officially Today, do that. And what the, what the prayer does is just drive that stake in the ground and say, yes. You can come and just say, God, I know I'm a sinner. You know, Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, and I accept him by faith. If you've never done that, please do that. Uh, that's the most important decision you can make in your life. That's, you determine where you will spend eternity. To ignore Jesus, to put it off, means you reject him. And if you were to die today, you would be separated from him. But put your faith and trust in Jesus. Jesus says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one's getting to heaven except through me, that Jesus is the only way. If there was another way to get to heaven, why would God allow his son to go through that cross and all the torture and sacrifice that, and suffering that he went through? He wouldn't. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. If you've never accepted him, put your faith and trust in him today. Or come up and talk to me. Please, let's get that right. Don't reject what you don't know. Come and find out who Jesus is, and I'm confident when you truly find out how wonderful and amazing and awesome Jesus is and how much he loves you, that you're going to accept him. You're going to accept him. For all of us that know Jesus, let's long to live the right way. Let's not smuggle in our own self-interest, the interests of the culture. Many times we do that. Well, the world's saying this, so it's got to be something different. Let's check our hearts before we read the Word of God and say, God, as I'm reading this, let my heart be aligned with you. Let's not meet, misread the Scripture so we misapply it and we live wrong and we miss the heart of Jesus. Jesus said, check your hearts, check your hearts. And then let's follow the way of Jesus. Let's just not read it and put it down. Let's follow his way. Let's be obedient to Jesus' way. Amen? Let's surrender our hearts. Let's go to him in prayer. Lord, we come this morning and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness and all that you give us. God, you are a great God. You're wonderful and amazing. And you're the God of the universe. You're the one that created all things. You created out of nothing just by your powerful word. And Lord, you definitely know more than all of us. You know more than me, I know. And so I'd become and a God who knows all things, who's omniscient, who's omnipotent, all-powerful, and omnipresent everywhere, who's eternal, never had a beginning, never have an ending. Dear Lord, you know what's best. And you come to us and you say, Lord, that we need to check our hearts, as Jesus is saying, because so many times, Lord, we've misapplied the Scriptures. We've got our own interests, our own selfishness, or the way of the world in it, the way of the culture, or what somebody else has shared with us. But, Lord, we've missed your hearts. Lord, I pray for each person here that, Lord, we check our hearts this morning. Not that we have terrible, rotten hearts. I'm not saying it. But sometimes, Lord, our hearts are not aligned with yours. We've just missed your heart. That we align our hearts with yours so when we read the Scriptures, Lord, we get the original intent, what God meant it to be. Jesus, we'd get your heart, what you meant it to be. And so we'd apply it right, and then we'd live right. Help us to do that, Lord. And Lord, help us to follow the way of Jesus, because that's the only way you bless. Any other way we're trying to follow except Jesus' way, we will not find your blessing. We only find it through Jesus' way. So help us, Lord, that we want to live the blessed life. We long for the blessed life to live for you. And I pray that for each person. I pray for the person here that doesn't know Jesus. I pray for their soul this morning, that they'd realize they're a sinner, and they need a Savior. There's only one Savior given under heaven. It's Jesus Christ. They might put their faith and trust in Jesus. He's their only hope, our only hope for eternity, only hope for salvation and forgiveness of sins is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. They would put our faith and trust in him. Lord, I pray that every one of us this morning realize that none of us arrived this morning. There's only one who knows it all. There's only one that's perfect, and it's our Heavenly Father who's perfect. And the Bible says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. But Lord, we come and we submit our hearts and minds to you. And what we need to do this morning, every one of us, is surrender. Surrender to Jesus. Surrender to the Holy Spirit. Surrender to God the Father, and that we might align our hearts with yours. That we get out rid of the old ways of thinking, the old ways of doing, the old acts. And Lord, I want to be aligned with you, so I might live in this new way that you called us in this new community, a countercultural community, a radical way to live, is the way of Jesus, is following him. 
that our church would be different from the world. So when people come in here, they would experience the love of Jesus. They would experience the heart of Jesus. And it would be displayed through your people. So when people leave, they say, boy, I, I just was in the presence of God. Lord, help us to love you more. Help us to live better and love better. And its only way is by checking our hearts and following the way of Jesus, that we may bring your glory. Help our church to be this way. Help us as individuals to be this way as we live out in the world. We stop trying to be like the world and try, stop trying to be like our culture, but we start, start being like Jesus in his ways. And I pray that for us, that your will be done in our life. Lord, help us to live this way. Lord, as we confess our sins, we know that you promised to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So, Lord, all we have to do is confess if we haven't. And none of us are perfect, so we all have to get our hearts right and check our hearts with you. So, Lord, I ask that this next song as we sing it, as it says, I surrender, that we come this morning and surrender our hearts to you, that we may become the people that you want us to be, so we may become and live the heart of Jesus in our hearts. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.